Want a better way to hire? We asked businesses across Australia. We trialled Liam through Youth Jobs Path and then hired him as a design assistant. Liam is so keen to learn. He gets along with everyone and we get help with wage and training costs. Louise gave me a go and now I've got a job. Yeah, it worked for us. To find motivated young staff and get up to $10,000 in assistance, search Youth Jobs Path. Authorised by the Australian Government Canberra, spoken by Jay Green, L Nobes and L Nicolau. Hello, you're listening to the Devils and Details podcast from uh, Business Insider Australia. I'm Paul Colgan and I'm here with uh, Business Insider's David Scott. Pleasure to be here as always. And James Whelan, Investment Manager at VFS Group. How are you, James? Fantastic, Paul. Thanks for having us. Uh, this week, we're going to be looking back at uh, some of the, the action uh, across global markets and, and talk a bit, a little bit about how they uh, affect uh, us here in Australia. We're going to look at oil, uh, inflation, interest rates, and naturally, we'll be looking at the North Melbourne's uh, incredible record so far. Um, I think they're eight from eight now, so um, that's plenty to talk about too. And we'll get on to that uh, stuff in a little bit later, but let's start with oil. Uh, being one of the big stories of the week. Uh, oil is look one of the most important inputs in the global economy, and it's been through a big ride in the last year. Uh, we're now looking at prices for a barrel getting back up to US fifty dollars. Um, it's been a steady rally um, over the over the last few months. Uh, and if you think about how far we've come uh, since like late last year, there was talk of a wave of corporate defaults in the energy sector because oil, you know, just popped below um, US $30 a barrel, um, and that was, um, you know, had a lot of people talking about what the consequences might be. But uh, there has been uh, a recovery over the last um, few months, and now this week we're th- we've been looking carefully for the, for the $50 mark. James, uh, is the bottom? Yeah, thanks, Colgo. The, that has been the question that's come up. So the recent stuff that's happened in, uh, in Venezuela, in Nigeria, and in Canada has has obviously caused this this rally that's there. But the further question that's come out was, has, have we seen the bottom? Is the bottom behind us? The answer to that one, which I will always preface with, oil is very difficult to pick. And, you know, the old expression, if you want to make God laugh, tell him your plans. If you want to make God laugh, tell him that you know where oil price is going to go. What I try and find is try and find people who are much, much smarter than me and what their commentary and what their take on it is. Now, one of the ones I heard uh, talk earlier in the week uh, Jody Gunsberg, who is the global head of commodities for Standard and Poor's, was out speaking, and uh, she 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 was asked the question: Have we seen the bottom in oil? And the question that came back was, in their view, that they that we have seen the bottom in oil. Why? Because the equity risk premium for energy companies has turned positive. In that, and and, I'll, and I'll, I've scribbled down her words here. That's there. The return of stocks in energy companies is better than bonds, and that has happened at every other oil bottom in their history. Investors are ready to participate in energy companies directly rather than hide in the safety of their bonds. And those, those are her words. Now, that switched in March. They saw it as being very important. And uh, from that, they, they have been able to gauge with a few other things, but, but primarily that has been the, 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 the turning point in the oil market, that they have seen the bottom. And, look, if the global head of commodities for Standard & Poor's tells me that they've seen the bottom in oil, then, OK, I'll... I'll go with you on that one. I'm not going to get You're not going to take the other side of that trade. With your money? <laughs> um, look, one of, the, one, of the, one of the big developments in the past week has been um, in the Nigerian market, as you, as you mentioned briefly there. Um, they've got a security situation there. There's um, some, some infighting, and particularly a militant group called the 
colourfully named the Niger Delta Avengers. Um, they sound like anti-oil superheroes, but um, they have that their, their activity has cut the nation's output by a third. Right? Um, and we also had this issue with the Canadian wildfires. Right? So I think um, there was one day where Canada lost 16 million barrels of oil in, in a single day because of um, the destruction of access to the supply there. Um, now, in, from both cases, we saw uh, immediate reaction um, in the oil price. Right? In a market this huge, right, um, where you've got these, you know, so many global suppliers um, and you've got this enormous um, shale industry which has come up in the United States and uh, looks like that really moved the dial on supply questions that ple people had um, um, maybe 10 years ago. In a market this big, with Nigeria losing 800,000 uh, barrels of output, um, why does that affect the price, David? Why is this market so twitchy? One of my favourite topics at the moment is talking about the crude oil price. It reminds me of a, a cat with a ball of, uh, of, of wool just playing around with it uh, know, each day, up and back, uh, down, side to side, just can't make up its mind. To be honest, in relation to things like Nigeria and, and also to, uh, to Canada, it's a headline. And to me, whilst the longer-term movements in the crude oil price, I think have been driven by fundamental factors, uh, I think you've seen a big drop-off in the U.S. supply. You've also seen the U.S. dollar has weakened up until recently, which is a massive factor in a commodity which is, uh, is trading U.S. dollar terms. But uh, short-term, you know, to me, the whole oil market looks like a, an algo-driven orgy in my respect. It's, uh, it's just one day it's down 3%, the next day it's up 3%. Like, even last night, you know, it was down 3%, and then all of a sudden the U.S. dollar just uh, looked a bit toppy, and then boom, up it went straight away. When I put those together, that, uh, that sort of tells me what's driving the, uh, the crude oil price at the moment. And you wrote during the week, I think, that um, you, know, we're, you, you noted how we've, we've seen a bit of a return now to the risk-on, risk-off cycles that we saw a couple of years ago, which kind of dissipated last year. Um, but we're back to sort of these, these periods where risk assets generally get bid. Um, uh, and then when there's um, a headline that drives things the other way, all, all of that risk comes off the table. Can you talk us a bit, through, um, bit more through that. Well, a lot to do is, uh, well, it's got a lot to do with the, uh, the US dollar. That's uh, the primary thing. Uh, you look at the problems that we saw in the markets and the turmoil that was uh, seen in the first six weeks of the year. It was primarily driven by US dollar, and then as a consequence of that, the Chinese yuan. Uh, you saw the US dollar strengthening a lot. You saw commodity prices, including crude oil, getting absolutely obliterated. And then all of a sudden, it's, uh, it's reverted back around. Uh, you've seen that the US dollar has weakened. We had a, a period where a lot of the, uh, the major central banks went in a very dovish slant uh, and decided to go and uh, coerce the markets back into buying, and certainly they've done that. So that's pretty much what, what I've been looking at uh, in that side of things. It's still very, very much all driven by the US dollar at the moment. Uh, and that basically you know, is a very important thing moving forward, particularly given uh, you know, the market's uh, re-attention on the, uh, the fact that uh, it looks like we may have a, an interest rate increase in the US sooner than what, uh, what many expected. Yeah, and, and I'll go into it. I was going to go into it a touch later, but I'll go into it now, especially with regards to the risk-on, risk-off environment that we're in, is, is that some of the hedge fund writing that I've seen, some really good quant stuff that it's not specifically for me, so I won't quote exactly who it was, uh, who it was done by. But the key risk that they're seeing in the market at the moment is the ETF... Uh, weight that the, the index ETFs that are so heavily weighted in in, in equities 
they're now algo driven. You, you mentioned an, an algo orgy, which is my favourite kind of orgy, Dave. So the um, the, it, the they're, they're driven now. When Vix when they're, they're tweaked, when Vix goes up a touch, they have to take money off the table. That's how they're driven, right? Volatility goes up. We're going to start going to cash and just coming off. And in so doing, that that caused the the, the, the little meltdown, the mini meltdown late last year in 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 what was it August I think or September it caused the, the the mini meltdown at the beginning of the year apparently that came down it just needs a little volatility increase to start this this drive now apparently they've tweaked down the algos to not be so sensitive but if we're going to get another volatility spike from somewhere then they've got to take money off the table and that's going to keep that's that's going to happen so that's the key risk to the markets that they see as soon as it's as soon as it starts to become risk off it's going to be because of a volatility increase now what sparks that volatility increase that's that next question so look, one one of the big factors we thinking about oil in 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 the broader scheme of things it's obviously a very important contributor to the inflation picture um, and the inflation picture obviously is what's driving um, central bankers around the world and particularly the fed um, in terms of um, inflation pressures uh, in the Australian economy this week uh, we got the wage price index um, the numbers were uh, 0.4% increase for the quarter, but a, a record low, um, 2.07% for the year. Now, um, the market had been expecting 2.2. The number came out 2.1% annualized. Look, it seems like a tiny miss uh, in the scheme of things, but overall, this is part of the continuing picture that we're getting, that there is an absence of inflationary pressures um, in, in the economy, right? So, um, James, what do you see as the implications um, for the equities market out of this. At what point do you get worried about the medium-term ability of companies to grow top-line revenue? I've, I've always been a little bit worried, and I've always got a, a certain amount of concern with regards to equities markets, US more so, but, but in Australia I think that we've had earnings growth and we've had had, had, had the other side of the ratio that's there. Uh, you know, you, you put it into a simple sort of the PE ratio, okay? Uh, price to earnings. Um, and if without earnings growth, then one side of the, the other side of the equation isn't going to add up. Now, as human beings, we, we're walking PE ratios. Okay, we're walking around. If you don't, my E isn't growing. So, what, where's my PE going to come from? He says weirdly, wish he hasn't. The 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 uh, without that increase, right? So, so then there's no inflation. But my question is is we are in a global low inflation environment. Now, what stimulates that? It's not rate cuts, and I've got to agree with, with Governor, uh, former Governor McFarlane, um, who's, who's, who's questioned that as well. Um, what is going to stimulate the earnings side of things? What is going to in increase that wage growth? The, 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 the rise in female. Uh, what's going on with the females back in the market yesterday with those numbers, David? I saw you, you put some great stuff together on, on, on women coming in and entering the workforce beautifully. Um, which is which is which is strong, and that added something. But but without without that earnings growth, then there can be no price growth because the whole thing just doesn't add up. And that's that's what we're seeing at the moment. And that's the risk too. It's a risk to individuals. It's a risk to to bottom lines of individuals and spending. And it's the risk to companies that are leveraged to that as well. Yeah, because look, one of the things structurally long term, you've got. Um, you know, uh, we were talking about this during the week, David, that you've got um, multinational companies who are able to borrow now for significant periods of time at 0%. Right? Um, this gives them a huge um, uh, competitive advantage if they're trying to fund their entry and secure market share in whatever sector it is, be it um, supermarkets, you know, be it um, uh, energy, 
um, you know, these guys are able to, um, to get in and fund um, aggressive market pushes um, at, uh, you know, if they're servicing it with debt at a cost of 0%. Australia, the, the Australian companies, homegrown companies, just um, don't have access to, to uh, as close access to, to that kind of debt, um, to that kind of uh, really, really super cheap debt, um, even though it still is cheap for them. Um, David, um, what's your view on where the inflationary pressures are in, in, in the Australian economy? Can you see any? Uh, and do you see any cause for the RBA to start to get a little bit more comfortable about where prices are headed? Inflationary pressures in the Australian economy. Uh, if you want to talk about house prices, that's, uh, that's certainly one, uh, one area of inflation and, uh, and probably utility prices as well. But outside of that, uh, they are non-existent. Uh, you've got an ageing population, so you've got demographics working against it. You've got a heavily indebted population as well. Uh, which makes it very hard to go and, uh, and, and up your consumer spending. Uh, you put those things together, uh, really, where is the inflation going to come from? No, from a, a broader perspective, no, the key to me is going to be whether the uplift in the crude oil price is going to be maintained for a considerable period of time and even push higher. If that occurs, then you'll probably start seeing the core inflation rate going push higher as well, uh, as companies are, are almost forced to go and, and raise their prices. Uh, but from the demand side of things, you know, whether you're talking about Australia or any of the other major economies around the world, uh, I really struggle to see demographics, high levels of indebtedness. When you put those together, I just I cannot see where there's going to be an inflation spike or a sustainable uplift in inflation, even with things like uh, I know the, the tightening labour market, particularly in the US. We're seeing wage pressures there uh, starting to go and tick up, but nothing that you'd go and say is extreme and nothing that's getting me excited to say that it's going to be a sustainable lift and... Uh, and and something that's going to go and, and drag the rest of the world out of this sort of disinflationary spiral. It's, it's possible, and just jokingly, remember when the CPI data came out, you and I were, were, were we caught up and we were talking about it. Maybe it's just what they put in the basket of goods are the wrong things. And you were saying that they don't tell us what's in the basket of goods. I think if they put avocados in, that, in the consumer baskets, then, okay, inflation's back. Because I think if you were running a Mexican joint, you'd have to sack a couple of staff. Now, you, because the, the, cost of, the cost of avocados have gone crazy, right? We need, we, need, we need a banana revolution. Remember the bananas we were in and inflation went through the roof and it was because of bananas. Avocados need to be in the basket. Looking um, back at the, the, the global inflation picture and, you know, the cost of debt is obviously one of the most important inputs in there. So the Fed during the week um, signaled that um, June is in play. Um, so this surprised everybody, um, caused a bit of chaos uh, on Wednesday night uh, in the U.S. trading session. So I'm going to read what was arguably the most important sentence uh, in global markets this week, and um, it's from the Fed statement. And here it is. Most participants judged that if incoming data was consistent with economic growth picking up in the second quarter, labor market conditions continuing to strengthen, and inflation making progress towards the committee's 2% objective, then it likely would be appropriate for the committee to increase the target range for the federal fund funds rate in June. David, I'm going to start with you on this. How did that affect the Aussie dollar, and how's it, how does it affect the outlook for um, the Australian dollar in the, the months ahead? Well, it's uh, put a noose around the Australian dollar and dragged it sharply lower, and rightly so. We saw US dollar yields, or US yields, uh, going and spike up, narrowing the uh, yield differential between us and, uh, and the United States. Makes us look less attractive from that perspective, and that was uh, pretty much it. Um, as for the question as, uh, as to whether the Fed will raise in June, whilst the minutes convey that the most 
suggest that they will if the, uh, the economic data continues to go and print as it's done. Uh, I still can't see them doing it uh, as early as a June, uh, June meeting, presumably only for the fact that, uh, you know, they're trying to go and, and get the market to, to accept that there's going to be another rate increase, much like was the case back last year in the lead-up to the, uh, the December rate hike. They need to have the markets at the point where they're pricing in sort of at least 70, if not 80% chance that there's going to be a hike, so the market is comfortable with it. We've already seen, as soon as they went and mentioned about uh, the prospect of a, of a hike as soon as June, the market started to go and crater, stocks went and fell, US dollar strengthened. Time and time again, we've seen this, you know, whether it's the taper tantrum of 2013 with Bernanke and other times you know, since then, every time that there's a, a, a possibility that uh, conditions might get a little bit tighter from the other monetary side of things in the States, risk assets just crater. Now, if they keep pushing it and they keep pushing it up, I expect there's going to be a lot of volatility. They need to go and get through that period of volatility, which means to me, uh, whilst it's starting to go and get closer to the, uh, to the US election side of things, you know, September meeting is the one that's sort of blinking for me at the moment. If they're talking about raising in June, they're still going to get through the Brexit uh, and make sure that that's okay from a global perspective. That'll give them more time to go and assess whether the US data is continuing to go and improve. And look, there's been some promising signs recently. Uh, and if those things all fall into place, the market volatility dies down and they accept there's going to be a rate hike, then I think they'll go in most likely in September. Yeah, because we consistent pattern in terms of the Fed's sort of uh, project to try and start to normalise um, the federal funds rate. The consistent pattern has been they get close to it and they've had to push things out. So expectations have been, have been consistently pushed out over the last couple of years. Um, James, talk us through your morning on, on Thursday morning. You got up. Um, the, 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 the Fed had, had um, announced that um, June, was, June was on the table in terms of a, 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 um, a funds rate hike. Um, talk us through your day. Yeah, well, there's a reason why you don't just look at the closing price of uh, stock indexes, and that's because that whilst the, the Dow was off, uh, what, about 120 or something like that, it had actually, it, it had actually swung around 200 points on the, on the day. Uh, the, the, the key thing, everyone tries to pick apart the, the, the words, and it's good that you read it out for us, Colgo, too. The, the key word was most, most participants that was there. And, and that was, okay, it's on the table, it's happening, and so let's now play this, this dance that we have where Yellen is holding hands with, with the equity market, she's holding hands with, it, with the bull, um, and, and all of a sudden now it's, it, it would appear so that she's about to start breaking that relationship. And as you said, that happens... David said, then the, the markets start to, to, to have a bit of a, a panic, and then we just go through this just go through this circular, circular motion where they talk, start talking up rates. Equity markets sell off. They start talking down uh, what they said before, uh, apologising profusely to uh, to the hedge fund managers of the world, and markets rally again, and and nothing gets done. It it might be this time a showdown, and. I think that this time might be the time when they say we're not backing down this time. We're going to raise it, and if you guys want to sell off this market, then go ahead and do it, because they see they see the strength that's there in the U.S. economy that they need. They may have, you know, tweaked a few things to to to, to reassess what they're doing, but they can see that they're that that the employment rate is 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 low enough for them to be to be to be going, um, and 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 there you go. So. This dance is now on. Now, if, if they break the chain and, and, and don't back down and, and continue with it, then, then okay, that's, that's going to affect the dollar and then it's going to affect us too. And our dollar's already on its way down. US dollar's, you know, going to be up. So then you've got to have a look at the companies that 
Okay, look even more at the companies that, that are leveraged to a strengthening US dollar versus a, a weakening Aussie dollar. Um, and that's where the markets need to be looking now and focusing on there with, with regards to your own personal portfolios. Have a look at that sort of stuff there too. And that's what looks so, okay, panic in the US, swinging around all over the place. Okay, look here, let's, let's just keep our heads. We've still got a strong market, strong enough. Earnings are good, yields are good, but now start to tweak it because we're in an environment where the Aussie dollar appears to be continuing to come off and that the US dollar, because FX rates, obviously, you've got to always think about the other side of the coin, literally, pun intended, uh, is is that the, the US dollar is going to continue to strengthen if everything keeps doing what it's doing. Scatters. Just keep an eye on the Chinese renminbi. If we saw anything from the last uh, no, two episodes of severe market volatility, it was that it was all centred around China and predominantly around the renminbi. Uh, that's what people should be looking at because if you're going to see an early indication that the markets are getting twitchy about the prospect of a rate hike, it will be shown there. And you no, know, we saw that when the uh, the, the one-off uh, evaluation, or we were called a devaluation in August last year, which had the markets cratering and probably saw the Fed go and postpone hiking rates then. Uh, then you saw it earlier this year as well. You know, the Fed had gone and hiked rates. The market seemed to be rejoicing. You know, we got through it and everything else. But then there was more money going into the US dollar. The renminbi went and sold off. And then it was just you know, hell in a handbasket for the six weeks, the, uh, the first six weeks of the year. So if you're looking for something to go in and give you a bit of a forebearer to what potentially may arrive, keep an eye on that cross. It's going to be very crucial. What you've got to watch out for is the increase in volatility, and I cannot stress this enough, and I'm going to reiterate it, and, and I'll quote the JP Morgan strategy. This is their, their, their quant strategy that came out. Given the low levels of volatility and high levels of leverage, the main risk for the market, and they've got this in bold, the main risk for the market remains a potential volatility shock. I can't stress that enough. When volatility has a, has a proper shock in an upwards direction, equity markets are going to get sold off, and they're going to get sold off hard. Don't be on the, don't be on the wrong side of that. Your average Australian uh, might be listening to this and might be thinking, look, um, I'm interested in stocks, I like my portfolio, um, I trust my manager, um, and um, I see a volatility spike coming or I hear about one overnight um, on um, the U.S. markets. How easy is it for people to actually act on that information on a day-to-day basis? It does depend on, it does depend on how you're invested and where you're invested. It's there and, and, and everyone's different. For your average super fund uh, member, you know, they've got very little control of, of what actually happens uh, unless you're, you're managing it yourself. Um, and and the, the big funds are invested in the way that they want to be invested globally. And that because there's such a huge weight of money and such a huge volume there, when they start to swing, it's actually just going to make it worse and worse that's there. The, the, with regards to specifically, which is why I prefer people to have a bit more control of their own super funds and their own assets and, and manage their own thing, because when something happens, they can act that's there. Um, currently speaking of that, we're putting together a, uh, a portfolio, and, and, and Scott has mentioned before about you know, an ageing population and low growth. You've got, to, you've got to be a stock picker that's there. It's a stock picker's, it's a stock picker's world now. If you're invested in an index, you, you, you're probably in a... You're setting yourself up for potential disaster. So if you put together a portfolio that benefits from changes in demographics, then you are, I believe, more likely to succeed in the market. So we're currently putting together a portfolio um, that benefits from our ageing population, the, you know, the, the, the boomers uh, that, uh, that are retiring. And everyone says, and, and UBS said earlier in the week at a conference that I went to, that when, when your, your baby boomers retire, everyone thinks, oh, I'll go healthcare, go healthcare, I'll buy retirement homes. They don't, they don't go to the doctor as soon as they retire and check out. They, they get a caravan and they tour around Australia. They see movies, they, they, they go skiing, they go on holidays, they do stuff. And then 
later on they go into a retirement village and they, and, 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 and they need the healthcare thing. So we're putting together what we call a, a, a boomer's portfolio that benefits off that, the caravanners there. And we are going to call it the boomer's portfolio. Uh, look, there's, I, I reckon there's a lot of people who I, who I know who are aged 65 and they're sprightly, they're skiing, as you say. Um, they, you know, I've got, uh, I know my father-in-law is, you know, about to go scuba diving in, um, overseas. He, you know, he's very active, um, you know, and this whole, and there's a lot of um, people who are at that age, which is, you know, this whole idea that, you know, you work till you're 65, 66, 67, and then retire. For a lot of people, it's just increasingly irrelevant. There's a lot of people who can work well into their early 70s. Um, and yet we have this notion that, you know, um, kind of 65 is when you should start thinking of clocking out. No, and, and, and that's incorrect as well. As, uh, that, I mean, my own father, he, uh, he retired, and when he stopped working, we realised that we had to get him useful on something because he just sort of turned a bit to mush, just quietly. And g'day, Dad, too, if you're out there listening. The, the, uh, and and, and it, it wasn't until he realised that he's actually still effective and still doing stuff through into his 70s that uh, it, 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 did this not happen before? People just stopped working and then went and retired and just started knitting or something. Is that what Because we have a, this population of people who just are able to keep on working and able to keep on going through into their 70s. And because it's not a full-time gig, go scuba diving, go skiing, go rock climbing, gym class, you know, active wear. The, uh, it, it, it's, it's an incredible phenomenon and it, it's, it's slightly new. The, the, the boomer phenomenon is in Australia and, and globally is going to be something that, that will benefit a lot, of, a lot of portfolios if they are tailored in the right direction and VFS is getting themselves set for that as much as we're getting ourselves continuing to leverage from the, uh, the burgeoning middle class in Asia, which is the other phenomenon that, 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 that has helped us a long way too. Yeah, I mean, look, absolutely, we do plenty of stories about you know, millennials and how to cater for them, how to manage them, how to develop products for them. Um, and we do some stuff, which is around... Uh, around boomers, but it's it's interesting. The, it hasn't captured the imagination, uh, I think, uh, in the way that the you know developing things for and how the, the world is going to adapt to millennials. Sure, they've got a you know obviously a fifty year future ahead of them, um, but there is this twenty five year period that we're we're staring down uh, right now, which is going to be catering to these boomers and providing services to them and all that. Yeah, and even even more so what, that you can't. You're capped at uh, what you can put into your super fund, and so just better get out there and spend it. Absolutely. Look, um, now speaking of amazing boomers, um, how about North Melbourne? Right, so um, I'm just giving you guys the fixtures for um, this week. Let's have a look. Uh, North Melbourne, here's the ladder. North Melbourne uh, still there, sitting pretty up at the top, played 8 1 8, and this weekend they are playing. <laughs> Of all people, they're playing Carlton. Hey, Carlton's won four on the trot, so it's uh, nearly a first time for everything, or at least in living memory. It's uh, it's been a while for the other uh, Blues, but I think that uh, it might come to an end with uh, with their fourth uh, fourth win last weekend. So I reckon the Kangas will probably get up. Uh, being a Swans fan, uh, put the mock on them, of course, last week by predicting them to win the flag, got beaten by Richmond <laughs> after after the final siren with a perfect 50 metre bomb. Uh, I couldn't believe it. I was on a Know, shaking at home, very disappointed. I was on a high after the Waratahs had won uh, earlier in the night, but uh, I guess you can't win them all, as the saying uh, says. Um, tonight, though, uh, Swans versus Hawks, massive, massive matchup. Uh, and uh, obviously, quite a rivalry between those two sides in the past. 
Um, I know the Swans, I think, won the, uh, the corresponding fixture at the MCG last year against the Hawks by, uh, by less than a kick. So it'll be interesting to see. I reckon it'll be a big test for these two for the credentials for the title. You know, if, uh, if there's a blowout in one way or the other, whilst you can't completely write off the team that will occur to, you know, it really makes it difficult to go and see how they'll win. Yeah, Buddy, he has been playing really smoothly and, and going back up against his own club. Uh, I'm assuming that he's in. I've sort of been focusing on equity markets, actually, at the moment. I think, I think Buddy's in the team. Like, uh, I'll have to go and double-check the other team sheet, but uh, obviously he'll be a big in if he's, uh, if he's playing. Yeah, he's playing next-level stuff that's there. I, I don't dis- uh, Let's stick with, the, stick with North Melbourne. I mean, tonight is going to be an absolute cracker. I missed last week. Um, I could imagine, though, that you're, you're, you know, if, if, if you wanted to call a rally... JB Hi-Fi, because TV sales would have been through the roof uh, this week after, after, after a, a whole, whole raft of Sydney-siders put the TV through the window. So it's, uh, it's one of those ones that's there, absolute cracker. I missed it, and, and I thought it was just going to be an easy win, put it in the bag, and there you go. And next thing I know, I've seen the replays. It was one of the, better, one of the better games of the year. Don't write off Carlton on this one. Not that I'm a Carlton fan. I think that, that, that uh, the shinboners have got what it takes to go all the way this year, and they'll be shooting for nine straight. Yeah, it's nine straight tonight. First, last time they did that was the year that they won the flag. Yeah. It's a really, really good um, uh, set of um, uh, matchups this week. You've got the Pies against the Cats. Um, we've got the, the Giants against the Bulldogs, right? I'm loving so, the GWS story. Um, Absolutely loving it this year. Third place on the table, um, Doggies um, fifth on the table. This is going to be, uh, I reckon this is great. The, the GWS story genuinely is inspiring. And if you look at the table, there's two Sydney teams in the top four. Um, it's just amazing. Uh, there is one um, matchup that is a little bit sad, which is um, the Lord have mercy on their sweet departed souls, but Fremantle playing Richmond. Poor old Frio, um, played eight, lost eight, um, getting, um, I mean, even the Dons have had a win this, uh, this year, but um, it's rough for them. Um, what else do you like uh, this weekend, uh, James? Uh, looking through this one, you know what? Eventually, Fremantle's got to get a got to get a break. Uh, probably won't be this week. I think something is something is inherently wrong, and something is inherently sick at Fremantle. The same the same question that you have about you know various stocks that you know when there's never just one cockroach. Something is actually wrong with the Fremantle Football Club, um, and uh, and I'm, I'm not sure what it's going to be. Port Adelaide, they've got to get it. They've got to get a win. They and that's one that you're really going to have to pay attention to. So that's that one where it's going to decide if they're going to crack back into the eight after Port were... They got... Uh, they, they had a, a win snatched away from them, didn't they? I'm trying to remember who it was that got them last week, but, uh, you know, they, they had it in the bag and, uh, and they let it get away from them. Port's got to get back in. I don't mind seeing Port, uh, Port do well. The uh, Adelaide... I love a good Adelaide game and uh, that'll be another, another good one to watch. Uh, no, it won't, actually, Adelaide, because they're having a bye. That'll be a great one to watch. Adelaide need the win. I like the look of the cats. The cats are just, you know, just under the radar, not getting too much uh, no publicity. I know the bookies have got them installed as favourites at the moment, but they're really not getting much uh, no chatter. That's, uh, that's certainly what we're seeing uh, north of the Victorian border. Um, and I'm really genuinely excited. Like, I, I don't dislike the Giants, although I'm obviously a massive Swans fan, but the Giants are absolutely killing it this year. And look, they've taken on the Bulldogs, and that's going to be a test more so for the Bulldogs. If they can't beat the Giants, then... I really wonder whether they're going to be a threat to the premiership. And then if the Giants do manage to win there, then do we start talking about potentially that these guys could go deep into the final series and really shake it up and maybe even get to grand final day? And that's, uh, it's something that's not out of the, uh, the realms of possibility. These guys have all played you know, 100 games now. And they've got you know, mature bodies. They're playing excellent footy. No, who says that they can't go and do it? 
Yeah, they've got, they got a good crowd that supports them as well. And they've got, uh, they, they have, you're right, they've got the lineup, they've got the team that, that can take them through. You know what, when they, when they get to the finals, because I do believe they'll make the eight uh, this year, they, I, I think that they've got what it takes to, to, to condition themselves through and at least win one or two uh, through there. When it comes to finals footy, though, you never know what's going to happen. Um, you know, Richmond, they, they get to the finals, you know, they can never make a deal of it. They haven't won a finals game in, well, in my memory, that I can imagine. So don't worry about them. I think the GWS is the other side of that coin, and I think that they've got what it takes to, to, to win a couple through at the end of the year. You've been listening to the Devils and Details Markets podcast from Business Insider Australia. Uh, look, don't forget you can find us at www.businessinsider.com.au and at BIOZ on Twitter. James Whelan from VFS Group, um, thanks very much for joining us this week. Thanks, Cargo. It's always good to be here, mate. You can find James through vfsgroup.com.au. And Scotty, thanks for this week. My pleasure. The Devils and Details podcast is now on iTunes, where you can subscribe, rate, and leave us a review. Um, and uh, hopefully you'll give us five stars, and we'll catch you next time. This podcast was delivered by Australia Post. If you've ever received a branded package, you'll know it's a small detail that makes a big first impression. Now with Australia Post, you can design your own personalised packaging. For more info, go to auspost.com.au slash podcast. That's auspost.com.au slash podcast.